You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to share with you today this first part of Made for This. We're going to start with a scripture found in Galatians chapter 4, verses 22-23, and then we're going to skip to 28 and 29. And it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. Let me pray. Jesus, we are here this morning, and uh, I present this word before you, Father, the thoughts, the ideas, the message that's going to come out. And I pray that you minister to every single heart here this morning, Father. Those that came to hear from you, those that came in hopes that something would change or shift in their lives, Father, look at their hearts, look at their minds, and I pray that even if I don't say the words that are meant to be communicated, that you may inspire people here this morning, that you may communicate your life and your love here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So one of the earliest figures of importance, certainly of great importance in Christian tradition and couple of other religions in the world is Abraham. It's this big name that we look back today and, and we look at his life and it, it, it has so much meaning. But Abraham show up, shows up in history before there was a Jewish law, before there was Israel. Israel actually bears the name of his grandson. And the, before there was anything, Abraham shows up in history and God calls him out of his family He calls him out into this land that he didn't know. And so Abraham packs everything up and he goes. And he gets there and he prospers and he has everything. Abraham is rich. Abraham has cattle and he has has land. And he married a beautiful, beautiful woman. Abraham, if we could transport and, and, and transfer his lifestyle, what he had what he was, what he represented to today, he would be the poster boy of success for our Western civilization. He had everything. He had the money, he had the house, he had the property, he had the beautiful lady. But the story comes to a a, a halt almost because even though he is in what we would probably consider a pinnacle, the top of the, of the mountain. Everything is great. He feels like it's all worthless. Now, how can somebody who has everything in our terms feel like everything he has is worthless? It has no meaning. For us, it's different. It's difficult even to understand the way Abraham used to think. It's difficult for us to try to put our minds in his reality, to put our thought in his reality, because people used to think a little bit differently back then. The way that they would process their thoughts and, and the way they would, they would envision a life with God was different. And uh, Abraham was part of that, that, that thinking, that, that mindset. 
There is an author that I like. Her name is Karen Armstrong. He's a, she's a, a uh, historian. She, she studies religious history, and she's been doing it for a while. She wrote a, a book called A Case for God, The Case for God. And in it, she explains that pre-modern cultures, they had two recognized ways of thinking, of, of coming up with ideas, of doing things, of processing life, of acquiring knowledge, which the Greeks later called it mythos and logos. Now, logos, if you're a Christian and you've, you, you've been doing this for a while, you understand logos as being the word of God. It's the word of God. But before Christianity, and if you set Christianity aside, the word logos means reason. It's our pragmatic way of thinking. It's the way we solve problems. Logos connects to our reality, what you can see, what you can solve uh, with your mind. Now, mythos is what, where we get the word myth from. And for us today, a myth is something that's not really true. We consider it a synonym to a fable, something that's not real. But back in those days, a mythos was something that happened in some sense one time, but also happens all the time. It's something that repeats itself. And the way that people would process information through mythos was not the same than they processed through logos. And these two ways of thinking, these two modes of thinking existed side by side. And one was not considered more important than the other. One was not considered better or worse than the other. Logos dealt with the real aspects of life, agriculture. How do you plant a seed and how do you irrigate it? How you solve problems that are right there logical. But mythos was how they processed big questions. Questions of life, death, purpose, meaning. Questions of God and existence. And in these two mind frames is where our uh, uh, pre-modern society grew in thinking. And Abraham was part of this, this mentality. Now, we have, we have come through some changes. Because today, in our 21st century mind, Logos has taken the front seat and it's leading our way of thinking. I think after the, the I think it's called the axial age where the philosophers and, and, and uh, all the, the, the reason and thought kind of began to prevail. And they started looking down on mythos and, and kind of like today it's seen as something that is beneath uh, reason as we know. So it's difficult for us to kind of go back because we can't really go back. But... When uh, archaeologists or historians, when they walk into a cave and they find ancient drawings, they immediately begin to document it. They typically try to find other types of, of drawings and types of, of findings that they compare to. But the reality is that we don't know much about what those mean. And we don't know much about civilization that far back. But we know this. Because of what follows... Historically, that art that we see, that we find in caves, is connected to some kind of religion, some kind of belief system, some kind of way that they were seeking to connect to God in their fashion. And what this tells me and tells you is this, is that you and I, we have something in us 
for as far as we can document in history, every single person, every single, single human being has something in them that reaches out to God, that reaches out to the unknown, that reaches out to this, this force that we believe as Christians, that it is our God, our Heavenly Father. But every single person on the planet has this in them. It's the signature of human beings. We look for a full life. We look for wholeness. But we have come to a reality where much of the time, that feeling, that sentiment is suppressed. Unless you can touch, see, taste, or hear, it's not really real. That's our belief system nowadays. Actually, I was in the radio. I was listening to the radio in the car the other day, driving through downtown Stanford, and uh, the the show host was sharing about about this study that was done on uh, on hedge funds and hedge fund names, and they realized this that hedge funds that have powerful, strong names actually attract more investors, and because of their powerful name. But even though other hedge funds that don't have as powerful a name, that don't perform as well, uh, I'm sorry, these hedge funds don't perform as well as other hedge funds that don't have a strong name. So basically, the strong named hedge funds attract all the money, even though they perform worse. And that was interesting to hear. But what caught my attention in that story was not the, the study itself, it's kind of interesting, but it was the way the, the show host ended the story. And he read me the wrong way. And, and I, don't, I even was surprised at how affected I was by it. But he, he ended the story the, the saying, well, we are just mammals, people. We are just mammals. And in my mind, I'm like, I know, I know what he was doing. He was trying to end it with like a funny sound bite. And trying to poke fun at the fact that all these investors are just hurting through life, looking at shiny things and saying, oh, I like this name. I'm going to put money there, even though the actual evidence of, of investment in that hedge fund doesn't take you as far as this other hedge fund that has a name that you don't like. I know what he was doing. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't know why I was so effective, but I'm thinking in downtown Stanford, in my car, like, do you even know who you are? Do you even know who you are? How can you say that? How can you say that? The reality is this. We, we, we have been told for far too long that we came from nothing and that we're going nowhere. We've been told for far too long that this is the totality of our existence. What you can see, what you can touch. It is bones and flesh and organs and cells and this composition that we see. And once this is done, it's done. That's what we believe. No wonder... No wonder... That people are so hopeless. But the truth is, we're not just animals. We're not just mammals. This sounds smart to say that this is what we are and come up, coming up with all the, 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 the things. But you have to, you have to, it sounds smart, but you have to take a leap and overlook a very basic uh, uh, realization. It takes a huge amount of oversight to make that statement because if you go back to the cave with the historian and the archaeologist and if you are able to observe them the first time they're in that cave looking at the drawings, the historian and the archaeologist are not looking at each other going like, I wonder what animal drew this. 
I wonder who did this. Like you don't see John the historian looking at Meredith and saying, Meredith, I think, I think a bear came in here to hibernate, and this is bear art. A bear drew these things here. And uh, Meredith goes like, oh, no, no, no. I saw some bats over there. This is a bat cave. This is bat art. No. They know it was a person. They know a person, a human being, drew that. Because as G.K. Chesterton says, art is the signature of man. We are unlike any other creature on this planet. We are unlike any other being on this planet. We are made in a way by Almighty God, fashioned, formed in a way with ability, creativity, and capacity. Unlike any other creature on this planet, we are made in the image of God. And so there is Abraham. He knew that. And this is the big difference because Abraham knew that. He knew that his life was divine. He knew that his life was sacred. He knew that his life was meant to, to leave a mark on this earth. He knew that his life was meant for a purpose. And you and Abraham, our life intersects at this point. And there might be a basic difference here because Abraham knew. Therefore, all of his accolades, everything that he acquired, all the money, all the cattle, all the land, didn't mean anything. Because he was at a point in his life where he was believing for something that God had promised him. But it didn't come to pass. So why? Why all this? Is this it? This is where your life intersects with Abraham. In that question, is this it? Now, you might be in another scenario. You might be in a place where you don't think your life is sacred at all. You don't think your life is divine. You don't think that you were called for a purpose at all, but you see the talents that you have, and you see the life that you're living, and you look around and go like, if I work hard, if I work on my talents, if I work on the things that I have in my hand, and I achieve fame, and I achieve recognition, and I achieve a little bit of notoriety, maybe I will feel the, I will sense fulfillment. Maybe I will have reached a purpose. And then you get there to the pinnacle, same space as Abraham is, with the house, with the car, with the, the dreams with the, the, the degree and the education, and you think, is this it? Is there anything else in life? Is this it? You know what? If you are in a place in your life where you have difficulty believing that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You have difficulty believing that your life is sacred, that you were made for a purpose, that there is a promise of God in your life. That needs to change if you have difficulty believing in that because God does have a purpose and a plan for your life. And that's the thing that's missing. That is the connection. That's the missing link in your life. You have this nature in you that calls out to God, and we've had this. Every single one of us has this ability in us, but we have to come home and realize that God has fashioned us 
for a purpose. He has made us for a purpose. So there is Abraham in that moment, in that moment of dissatisfaction, in that moment of tension, in that moment where he thought his whole life was supposed to culminate to this, to receive God's promise. And there he is, wondering, where is it? And so God speaks to him. God says, Abraham, your promise is coming. You will have a son. You're going to have a son. And not only that, I'm going to make you into a huge nation. And kings are going to come out of you. And things are going to happen through your offspring that are going to change the world. And he says, how, how do I know that this is all going to happen? So he falls into a deep sleep. It's in Genesis 15 and 16. We're not going to read through the whole text, but you can go and look. He falls into a deep sleep, and God shows him all that's happened. God tells him, listen, your offspring, out of your offspring, a nation is going to be formed, and they're going to go into Egypt, and they're going to spend 400 years in Egypt. They will be slaves, but then I'm going to raise somebody, and I'm going to rescue them, and they're going to come back right here in this land where you are, and they're going to take possession of this land. That's my promise to you. And he wakes up, and there's Abraham. He should have been at peace. He should have been feeling like, this is, this is awesome. I just can trust God because he's going to make it happen. Amen, Sarah. Mm, we're going to have a baby. But then, as you know the story, the moment he got home, there was an opportunity for the flesh. Here's where we start the point of tension in our lives. Every time God makes a promise, the flesh will make for itself an opportunity. For every Isaac that God promises you, there's an Ishmael waiting, wanting your future, wanting to seize the promise of God, wanting to seize your attention. And that's what happened to Abraham. The moment he got home, his wife, this, this doesn't represent the problem was the lady, okay? I'm a feminist. I love you, ladies. This story to you and I represents the inability, the flesh, the struggle that we have to do it on our own. He gets home and his wife says, here's my servant. We can take care of this right now. We can have a son with her. Because clearly, I can't give you a baby. Clearly, I'm unable. Clearly, I don't have the ability. Clearly, I don't have what it takes. You can take her. And there goes Abraham. Hey, if you say so, sure, I'll do this sacrifice. I'll sleep with your servant. He did that. Now, this, this is a lesson for you. And this is a lesson for me. Because when God promised you something, he will make it come to pass. When he puts something, a seed, in your heart, he will make it come to pass. Now, you got to be diligent with everything that you have. You have to be diligent with the things that he has placed in your hands. But don't step out of your, out of your blessing. Don't go try to make it happen on your own. And that's what Abraham did. This is where my story culminates. Maybe you're here today. This is where my message it's the whole point of my message is this for you today. Maybe you're here today and you're like, 
the person who does not know whether his life is sacred or not. Maybe you're like the person who is not fully convinced that his life was made for a purpose. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering, is there, is there something else? Is there something else for me? Or maybe you're here and you are like Abraham. You have worked, you have toiled. Abraham was in a situation in his life where he had everything. Everything was about this one thing. Everything was supposed to lead to this one thing, and it didn't happen. And maybe you were here today, and you have fought many fights. You have come through many things. You have struggled. You have, you have fought your way through, and, and you have won, and you're here. And maybe you have the resources. Maybe you have the ability. Maybe you're here, and you have the talent. And you're wondering, God, where is your promise? Where is my Isaac, in a way? And I'm here to tell you, he will not falter. He will not delay. God's promise will come to pass in your life because you were made for his promise. You were made for this. You were made for his promise, you were made for Isaac. You were made for the thing that he has placed in your heart. You gotta trust that God will make it come to pass. There is something that happens after everything is said and done. He has Ishmael. That was a mistake. But God has mercy on him and has mercy on his son. And God sends a blessing to Ishmael. And that's the story that we read. But I want to end with a practical point. Because once God does make the promise come to pass. And you got to know today, this is part one of this series. That you were made for the promise of God. You were made for the thing that he has promised you. And if you don't know what it is. He'll show you. But once the promise is in your life, once you receive the promise, once you have placed yourself in God's presence in a way to receive the promise, you would have think that when you look at the text that once Isaac comes, that God would leave Abraham with a list of things to do and to kind of like bring up Isaac under, right? So much is riding on this one person. You would think that God would go like, all right, this is exactly what you need to do in every single season of his life. But no, there's nothing that we read in the text. There's one thing, though, that happens. And if you think about it literally, and I actually, I vacillated whether I should bring this up because it's, no, it's weather. I'm making it worse than it is. <laughs> but, there's one thing that happens. God makes a covenant with Abraham and with descendants by the way of circumcision, I told you. Now, if you think about it in a logos mentality about circumcision, you will think, what's the point of it? It's, it's barbaric. It's gruesome. It's, it makes no sense. You have to understand it in a spiritual sense spiritual meaning, the applicable meaning for you and I here today. The promise of God cuts away the flesh. It cuts away the power of the flesh. It cuts away Ishmael. And when you live in the promise, 
believing in the promise. Some of those things that you battle with, that you fight with, some of those things that you look at yourself and you, and you think, I'm, I, I can't do this. Just like Sarah. I, I, this is not going to happen. This promise that God gave you, it's not going to happen in this context. So you got to go do it on your own. No. The promise of God cuts away the flesh. And it takes away that struggle. And from Isaac and beyond, the life that came out of the promise was a full life. And that's what we want, right? That's what we've been looking for. This is what we've been seeking. The full kind of life, the abundant life that comes by the way of God's promise being fulfilled in our lives. I want to ask you to stand this morning. Because circumcision means consecration. And this covenant, which is a... a, a an old school word, Bible, church word for agreement. Right? It's a covenant. It's deeper. It's stronger than agreement. But it's, it's, it's a bound up agreement. It's like your life depends on it. This covenant that we have with God will carry you through whatever you are going through right now. But you have to take the initiative. This is where your part comes in. You have to take the initiative to mature the Isaac in you. There's a lot of people with strong, muscly Ishmaels in their lives, and their Isaacs haven't even been nursed yet. So you gotta, you gotta make sure that your Isaac is strong, that the promise of God in your life is strong, because some of you, everything is lined up. You're like Abraham. You're standing in the mountaintop saying, Jesus, if there's no promise coming to pass, None of this makes any sense. None of what I've worked for makes any sense. Everything that I've worked for up until this point depends on your promise coming to pass. And I'm here to tell you, it will. This is the year of miracles. And you will see things come to pass in your lives. So